glad you're here to join us at Waterstone. Throughout 2020, we have been reading through the Bible, and it has culminated to this moment where we open up the New Testament and see how God enters history in a personal way. It makes it unmistakably clear that He is with us, He is relentlessly on our side, and doing everything possible to rescue us. It's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we learn how to live and be people who love sacrificially, seek justice, and extend God's mercy. We're excited to dive into this series together and would enjoy it even more if you were able to attend one of our services in person. We invite you to go to waterstonechurch.org to RSVP for a weekend service time on Saturday evening or Sunday morning. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things, but very truly, I will tell you it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin, because people do not believe in me, about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say than you can bear now, but When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much. We can give a round of applause for Reese. Isn't it fun having Waterstone Kids part of our uh, service and worship service? So thanks so much, Reese, for reading that. Uh, We're glad that you're here. Welcome. If you're watching online or if you're here in person, thanks for worshiping. We're glad you're worshiping with us. A while back, my wife and I went up to see a performance in Boulder. And on the way up there, we had that conversation that goes, do you want to get dinner before or afterwards? And we made a terrible decision. We decided to get dinner after a long performance that ended up going long, as always happens when you decide to get dinner after. So we get back in the car, and it's about 10.30 or 11 o'clock. It's about an hour drive, as many of us know, from Boulder. And we're heading down to Littleton, and we have the next conversation, which is, do you want to stop and eat at a restaurant, or do you want to head home and eat there? 
while my wife, who is the saver between the two of us, I kid you not, without her, I would be lining up in a soup kitchen line at the end of the month every month. She obviously advocated for going home and eating there. Well, I was hungry, and if I'm honest, I was hangry, and I put my feet down and decided I don't want to go home. It's an hour away. There's restaurants in Boulder. I know half of them just only sell vegan things, but I still would rather eat that right now than go home. And so we did the most logical thing. We did nothing. We pulled over, and we had a conversation. Now, conversation is uh, a very generous word for what actually happened in the car. Now, to fast forward a long, painful night. It is now about midnight. We are sitting across from each other at a restaurant neither of us care to be at. We are completely exhausted from just hashing it out. And all of a sudden, one of us breaks out laughing at the ridiculousness of our night, and the other one breaks out sobbing at the ridiculousness of the night. And I won't tell you which was which so that I protect my own pride a little bit in front of the church and you don't know how much I cry. But at that moment, a very sweet and unassuming 16-year-old Amy, our server, comes around the corner as one is laughing and one is crying. This is a true story. And says, hey guys, how's your night going? (laughs) And she learned the valuable lesson of not asking questions we don't want answers to. It was a confusing and intense emotional scene that she walks into. And for us, as we continue in our series called Love This Book, looking at Jesus the Messiah, we are about to walk into an emotionally intense and confusing scene as well. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. And now this is after Palm Sunday and before Good Friday and Easter when he resurrects. This is the weekday. And Jesus is doing what my wife and I call EP, right? You're going to go see your in-laws, so you do some EP. It's emotional prepping. Hey, just a heads up before we go. And Jesus is saying, before I go, I want you to know something. He's trying to set them up and tell them that the Holy Spirit will come and that it is a good thing. In fact, church uh, theologians, we really call once the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the era of the kingdom of God, meaning that the Holy Spirit comes into us and works through us in this era. But the disciples are not buying it. So let's check out the text again. And this is what it says in verse 6. Jesus says to them, rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, you have grief. And in a little bit, he actually says, but you should have joy. And they are thinking, why would we have joy that the guy who has said he's God, and we're basically bought in that that's true, is going to leave us? If I go on a camping trip with my best friend, and we packed and we planned, and right before we leave, he says, heads up, I'm actually not going to go. Jeffrey's going to come. I don't want Jeffrey. I don't know Jeffrey. I want to go with my best friend. Jesus is saying, I am leaving, but trust me, it's good because of who's coming. Now we have to empathize with the disciples on this one. 
Some of you have heard the icebreaker. It's a cliche icebreaker, right? That if you could have dinner with any two people, dead or alive, from history, present or past, who would it be? And oftentimes we'll say, okay, well, um, Elton John and Jesus, which by the way, sounds like an awesome dinner party with some good wine. But no one has ever answered that question, Elton John and the Holy Spirit, right? Even the most Christian kid in our youth ministry is not going to say that. Uh, for a moment, visualize Jesus, right? Now visualize the Holy Spirit. Our pictures for Jesus look like the ultra-white hippie Jesus who brews kombucha in his backyard. Or maybe better yet, the ultra-white cartoon Jesus who is chipper and happy all the time. Or the ultra-white cartoon Jesus who's reading books to children. We love Jesus. He's approachable. He's accessible. But what about our images of the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's a dove with light hitting it. Or it's fire, like in Pentecost. Or it's a triple threat, a dove with light hitting it made of fire. <laughs> Jesus is much more accessible to us and approachable, if we're honest. I can admit that if someone were to say, in all honesty, in this moment, the hardest moments of your life and mine, would you rather have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you or Jesus, the Messiah, sitting next to you? That if I'm honest, I would say Jesus very easily. And now this creates a dilemma for us. Because either we have to say Jesus is wrong or our understanding of the Holy Spirit is wrong. In other words, we have to say Jesus in these verses is wrong. That's not true. Or something's off with our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he operates in our world. Now, a little spoiler alert for all of you here and at home. The pastor thinks Jesus is right. But the question is, how? Well, I think our understanding of the Holy Spirit's off. Um, I'm a big fan of The Good Place. It's on NBC. Uh, I don't know if any of you know this character. This character's name is Janet. There's a couple Good Place fans in the house. So Janet is this character who um, shows up. It's kind of like, hey Siri, okay Google, Alexa, one of those things. But Janet is way better than that. Because Janet can actually provide things for you. Uh, tangible things, but also can give you answers to life's biggest questions. So you just say, hey Janet, and all of a sudden she's right there smiling in her purple vest, and you ask her questions. Now, I think in many ways we see the Holy Spirit as our own personal Janet. Now, we're more sophisticated than to acknowledge that in church because that makes us seem really self-centered. But I want to ask you to evaluate, if you're a believer in the room, and if you're not, you're totally off the hook on this one, what has your prayers to God, seeking his guidance, asking for advice, wanting the Holy Spirit's presence look like in your life? For me, it is almost always self-centered, which is why we love Janice and Siri and Google and Alexa, because they serve us. And if that's our understanding of the Holy Spirit, we will struggle to believe that Jesus' words are right. 
If our questions to God are like, who should I date? Should we buy a house now? Or is the Denver housing market bubble actually going to ever pop God? Seriously, if God answers that one for you, you can write an email to Elliot C. at waterstonechurch.org. But we have a desire for self-serving information and revelation from God. I'll put it like this, more specifically. I think we create a catch-22 for God. A lose-lose. It goes like this. There are many areas of our life that God's given us freedom in. Kind of the what's. What do you do for a career? Uh, What house do you want to buy? What place do you want to live? What interests do you want to have? What way do you use your finances? And then there are the hows that I believe in many ways, generally, God has spoken very directly to. How do you treat your children? How do you talk about your friends or roommates when they're not around? How do you operate as an employee? How do you use your body? How do you use your finances? And in my experience, and I am also talking about myself here, I think we want Jesus to speak directly to the what's of our life. What job should I take? What house should I buy? Where should we move? And yet he's given us freedom in those places. All the while, we resist his revelation, his model through the person of Jesus, in the how should I live? How should I speak about others? How should I be generous? God, in our homemade catch-22, cannot win. And as a result, we walk away feeling as though he has been silent and failed us. We misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit. Now let me be clear. I do believe that God guides us. I don't want to miscommunicate on that. I 100% believe, and I've seen it in my own life, the smallest details that I can be surprised by joy, realizing that God is aware of, that he's conscious of, that he cares about. That some of my secret insecurities and private thoughts have been revealed that God actually hears and knows those. And I believe that's true for you as well. There's nothing special about me. My sin count in the day basically beats most of you every day. I can promise you that. God is aware of you and I, but... The Holy Spirit's purpose and role in the world is not first and foremost, it's not primarily to reveal our preferences and personal questions that we might carry and have. So, why then is it better that God in the form of Jesus would leave and God in the form of the Holy Spirit would come? Well, The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is God, right? The Holy Spirit is not God-like. He's not God's secretary, right, that we just interact with because we don't really get to get into the back room with the big doors that open up. The Holy Spirit himself is God. Uh, Jesus, in John 14, uh, a little bit before this, he talks about the Holy Spirit, and he uses a Greek word which none of us will remember, including me in a couple weeks, called alos. And it means just like, the exact same, there's no difference. Jesus is saying, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and he is not like God, he is God. 
So first, the Holy Spirit is God, just like Jesus is. Second, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Jesus walked on the earth and arguably, not arguably, obviously, considering human history for a very short period of time. But Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will dwell in you, not walk among you, for all of time, never leaving you until the very end of the age. And then finally, I get that the Holy Spirit It sounds like someone who sells crystals in evergreen would be super into. It's this ethereal, nebulous concept. But let's be clear. The Holy Spirit is a very concrete person of the Trinity. Christians, when we talk about the Trinity or God, we talk about the three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that we have one God but three persons. Meaning the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not the Adams family. That the Holy Spirit, we use personal pronouns for it's he. And because the Holy Spirit is a he, is a person of the Trinity, we can have a personal relationship with him. By the way, if the concept of the Trinity sounds confusing to you, there's a very good chance you are understanding it and following along closely. So let's go back to the text. What does Jesus say the role of the Holy Spirit is? Let's check it out. Verses 8 through 11. Here it is. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. There's a theologian named Frederick Bruner teaches on the, east, uh, the West Coast, and he basically says this. He summarizes these verses by saying, the Holy Spirit reveals to us what's wrong, what's right, and who won. In other words, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God through the church. The primary purpose, this is so important, and we'll come back to this at the end, so please hold on to this. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify God through you and I, the church. It means we get to go along for the ride, but we are not the destination. God's glory is the destination. Uh, Look at those verses one more time, because I want to make sure I make this clear. Verse 8 through 11. Jesus is saying, that the Holy Spirit will reveal that we should believe in him, that Jesus has in fact gone to the Father, and that Jesus has had victory over death. He's speaking about the future now. The disciples are totally lost at this point. They're like, okay, you're telling us to have joy. Peter's trying not to tear up. Peter's always tearing up. Thomas doesn't feel like he's listening at all. And you're saying that you have victory, but that you're going to leave? And it's even more confusing a couple of nights later when he's killed? Yes. Jesus is saying it's all part of God's big plan. And God's big plan is this. Let's go back to that slide, Tara. That God would use the Holy Spirit to give glory to his son through us. 
So now we have to ask a very important question, a practical question. People love to talk about the Holy Spirit, but getting really practical. How does the Holy Spirit show up? Sometimes we can be ambiguous there. Pastors, we, we kind of love to say, the Holy Spirit is real. He's a forgotten God. It's all very true. And then we kind of jump through how the Holy Spirit looks in our lives because that's where people um, can get confused or maybe it becomes controversial. But today I want to be very concrete. The Holy Spirit shows up in our lives in two ways. First, the supernatural. And second, the supernatural. What I mean by that, I know it's a bit of a pithy way of saying it, at least I think it is, is that God shows up in the supernatural and the mundane, the normal, the common, the regular, the simple, the daily. So first let's look at the supernatural. About two years ago, I had uh, gone to a conference. I was working here at Waterstone, obviously, and I had gone to a conference with some coworkers. It was down in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, now, before all of this, um, there had been some family conflict in my life. And many of us who know about family conflict, uh, it can get ugly. And it did in my family. In fact, I found myself at the very center of this conflict. And during that time, um, two things I want to point out. One is that a lot of things were said. This is not just my family. This is all of our, many of our families, I should say. A lot of things were said that were really painful to hear. Specifically, I, was, um, I received statements about the roles that I play in my life and who that I am as a person. And during this time, I developed a pain in my stomach. It was obviously a result of anxiety and of the stress and angst that was coming from this season. It was over the holidays, which you gotta love, by the way. Oh, gotta love family conflict over the holidays. And this pain remained. In fact, the following months, I would talk to my wife, and she was kind of the only person I shared this with, that I would have um, this reoccurring pain that started at this moment of conflict, but anytime I felt stress or there was anxiousness or, God forbid, there was that conflict that came back into my, you know, current day, this stomach pain and those statements would just fly through my head. So now going back, I, a couple months past, I go to this conference down in Phoenix, and it's a conference for the, um, the Alpha course that we do here. And uh, it was a short conference. It was like one of those two-day things. So at the end of the second day, they invite people in this massive cavernous room to come to the front and receive prayer. Now, I don't really know anyone. I know uh, my wife who oversees um, Alpha here at Waterstone. And I know Ben Suji, our middle school pastor, who is there with us as well. And I think, what do I have to lose? I'm going to go forward and get prayer. So I walk up to the front and I tell three or four, there are four people in front of me. There's a ton of people there to pray. So I was like, this is sweet. I'm going to get a ton of prayer because no one went for it. And there's three people from California and one from Washington. I've never met them before in my life. There's uh, three women and one man between the four of them. And I just say, hey, my name's Elliot. I'm a student pastor in Denver. I would just love prayer for kind of more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I said, that's great. Let's pause. Let's just listen to God. So I said, cool. So we all pause, we kind of close our eyes. They take a moment just to sort of listen. And then the gentleman in front of me says, God, in the name of Jesus, we pray against the pain in this young man's stomach. And I open my eyes and freeze. And then I close my eyes like, this is weird. And then he says, 
And Lord, we know it is brought there because of anxiety. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would replace where there's anxiety with joy. And at this point, I am totally frozen. And then someone else prays in the circle. Lord, we also want to pray specifically and then names the roles that I play in my life, the specific roles that were questioned and criticized, and the statements about who I am praise the opposite in the most life-giving, powerful way. And now, okay, second sermon illustration where I'm crying. Now I just start crying. And I cry because I have such joy. I cry because in that moment there's healing in my life. Amen, amen. Because what I said to you earlier about, yes, the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is for the glory of God, but he works through the church. That he knows us personally. That he hears our thoughts and he is aware of us. That in that moment, and this is not, these are not stories I, I, I'm always looking for or telling. This was a moment I walked into because of God's grace. That the Holy Spirit is real and powerful and working among us. Look, all throughout the world, there are stories similar to mine. Some more um, uh, uh, large in scale. Some that might seem even more significant, but they are happening. In the Middle East, we know of many people who have come to faith in Jesus or experienced Jesus through dreams. There are communities that are experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in the supernatural all around the world. And we at Waterstone want to be willing to receive the Holy Spirit's work in our community too. Look, we don't have to hype up the Holy Spirit, but we want to be willing to invite him down where we are. But here's the thing. I actually think it is the natural that we are more likely to miss in our daily lives. I think it is the ways that God works in very small and subtle ways that we are more likely to miss. Because the supernatural, while I think it happens less common, at least in my life, than the natural, the common, the mundane, it's these experiences that I believe happen regularly and is easy to overlook. These are the non-coincidence coincidences. Do you know what I mean by that? Where it's easy for us to say that is just a coincidence. And maybe it is. But I believe that often it's not. I'm paraphrasing, but Albert Einstein said, coincidence is the way God stays anonymous. I have a friend who uh, continually felt uh, as though she needed to send a care package. It was so weird and bizarre. She shared this with me. She said, I continually felt I needed to send a care package to my mom. And um, after a couple of days, she finally just went on Target's website. Gotta love Target. And she just clicked on some candles and different things, and she just had it shipped to her mom's house. Mom lives out of state. The care package ended up showing up the day that the mom got really scary medical news. Now, thank God it was resolved and her mom is healthy, but it carried her through knowing that 
that my friend was able to say, I, I know that sounds strange. I don't say this stuff all the time. I'm not flippant with saying I felt like I needed to do this, but I did. And it meant the world to that person. Look, let me be clear, even in less flashy ways, I believe the Holy Spirit works in natural ways when we're having conversations with our children or a spouse, convicting the way that we speak about them when they're not in the room. I believe that you can open up your, your phone, your Bible app, and the verse of the day just nails you between the eyes. These are ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Are we listening as a church? And maybe the harder question is not, do we believe he can work in the natural? Do we believe he can work in our natural lives? That he'll speak to us. Some of you, I can hear it. Oh, I can see it. The thought bubbles all around the room. Those who are more inclined to engage with Jesus cerebrally and find it easiest. And by the way, that's actually really good. The church needs you and God made you that way. And some of us have very valid resistance to what I'm saying right now. I want to validate that and acknowledge it. Whether that's because the church stream you grew up in, um, maybe there was a misuse of the Holy Spirit or supposedly the Holy Spirit or spiritual abuse. Or like I said, your personality type lends itself towards wanting to understand God. And so God the Father, Scripture, and the person of Jesus are the most approachable for you. Then I think there's a legitimate question to ask. How do we know that it's actually the Holy Spirit working in my life and not my psyche or something weird I ate before I went to bed? Those are great questions. So I'm gonna give three thoughts that I think Jesus actually guides us in before we wrap. Here's the first one. Does it align with the person of Jesus and the whole of scripture? In other words, is, there, is what you are feeling that God is speaking to you or believe God has revealed to you, does it align with the whole of Scripture, not one verse taken out of context, you know, pasted on someone's Instagram feed? Does it align with all of Scripture and the person of Jesus, God's ultimate revelation? This is what verse 13 says. But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus is saying, if the Holy Spirit is speaking or leading in your life, one way you can know is that he is only speaking what I, Jesus, am saying. It's never going to disagree with who Jesus was and is and what he's revealed in scripture. The second way I think we can tell, is this from God? Is this the Holy Spirit in our lives? And we can be a little less cautious approaching that. Is this, what does it produce? Verse 14, the next verse, Jesus says, he will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Does it ultimately give God glory? Does it shine light on who Jesus is and the love of the Father? Does it reflect the goodness of God? 
You know, I think sometimes, especially when I speak, I'm the student pastor here, when I speak with students, oftentimes one of the biggest ways they struggle to know, is this God or is this me, is by hearing a self-condemning voice. And they wonder, well, religion kind of tells you not to do stuff, and there is right and wrong, so maybe my self-condemnation is God. And this is where you have to go back to that second point, where you say, what does it produce? Don't get me wrong, I have felt convicted by the Holy Spirit over and over again. But it is almost always pruning in my life. Well, no, it is always pruning in my life. Can we cut that? It's always pruning. It always produces more fruit, more life. Whenever there's anxious feelings, should I do this, should I not, I don't know. Whenever there's um, just tireless self-condemnation, I can rest that that is not God's voice in my life. And I believe you can too. And the last piece, and it's not straight in scripture, but I believe it's all throughout, is this. What does common sense have to say? Amen. I know a pastor, this is a true story. I know a pastor who had a congregant come up to him and say, Pastor, God told me to drive with my eyes closed. I'm glad I don't live in that pastor's neighborhood for the record. What does common sense have to say about what we feel the Holy Spirit is leading us towards? So, does it align with the person of Jesus and the whole of Scripture? What does it produce? What does common sense have to say? And please drive with your eyes open. In a moment, we are going to pray collectively as a church, and I want to invite those who are willing to pray to invite the Holy Spirit more into their lives and to our church. But before we do that, I actually want to pause and recognize one group in the room or online who very likely feels overlooked and forgotten. See, in my life, I know many people or multiple people who fall into this group. These are believers who have earnestly and diligently prayed for the Holy Spirit to show up in their lives, to speak to them in a way that they believe others have and hear that others have. And those who I know who have earnestly prayed this but have never experienced it, sadly I see them oscillate between two takeaways. The first is that they believe maybe there's something wrong with me or maybe I've done something wrong. And you go through the Rolodex of all the things you've done in your life and you start picking out cards wondering, could this be it? What's wrong with me? And when that gets tiring, they come over here and just become frustrated and tired with a God who seems to answer the prayers of other people's, but not their own. And I have to admit, as a pastor standing here before you, I don't have an adequate response and answer for you if you're in that group. But I have at least a thought to offer. There's a book called Screwtape Letters, as many of you may have heard. It's written by C.S. Lewis, who is a prolific writer in the uh, 1900s. And C.S. Lewis uh, writes this book. It really tracks um, uh, correspondence between two demons. It's fictional. So the 
upper demon is writing to the lower demon who's been assigned to this person, to this man. And the, the name of the lower demon is Wormwood. And the lower demon we kind of make out from the letter has just written to the upper demon and said, I'm so excited. The man I've been assigned to seems to have um, no sign of God in his life. A- a- honestly, the things he's asking of God seem to not be there. This is good stuff. And the higher ranking demon writes back these words to Wormwood. This is what he says. Be not deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why, has, why he has been forsaken and still obeys. There are some of you today who hear this message, and it's not because of skepticism or a lack of belief. It is because of a lack of experience that you struggle to really accept it. And to those who do that, I want to say this. I don't have an adequate answer. But what I do know is that you offer a sacrifice of obedience greater than many of us. And that we as the church see you. And we believe that Christ himself sees your sacrifice. Now, to that point, and why I emphasized that the Holy Spirit's presence and showing up is really always about God and not about us, that to that group and to those like myself who have been fortunate enough to say I've had moments I've seen God's presence in my life, the truth is it's not about me. It's not about you. It's never been about you or me. It's always only been about Jesus, the risen Lord. Which means that for those of us who have had those experiences, we can take no pride in them because it wasn't about us. And for those of us who haven't, we can make no statement about ourselves because it's not about us. For all of us, it is always and only about Jesus Christ, the one true living God. So here's how we're going to wrap today. Uh, I'm going to ask if you are willing to, to pray with me, to pray with us, whether at home or here in person, a simple prayer with ancient roots. The prayer is, come Holy Spirit, come. And I'm going to say that first we'll pray that individually. And second, we're going to pray that corporately. So would you stand with me right now? For some of us, we need to welcome the Holy Spirit more into parts of our lives. Maybe a specific part. Maybe struggles and addictions. Maybe a marriage or relationship. Maybe even just our own psyche and mental health. Whatever it might be, I'm going to invite you to pray right now personally. Maybe it's just your whole life. That we would pray these words in our own silence to God. And you can pray out loud with me if you wish. We pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. And then for us as a church at Waterstone, corporately, 
We want to be a church that sees the Holy Spirit and gives glory to God the Father and God the Son. And so I want to encourage us right now, would you pray out loud with me if you agree with that and you want to welcome Christ into our church through his Spirit, we pray together, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus, amen.